When we glorify something or someone, they look in our lives, it's like a mirror reflecting on something or someone else that we hold in great value. So Jesus here is saying, on this cross, Lord, glorify yourself. Having the presence of God in life's difficult and challenging times. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. If you could have an hour with Jesus to talk about the hard and painful circumstances in your life, what would you ask Him? Today, David takes us to the 12th chapter of the Gospel of John with insights and practical ways to handle life's tribulations. Let me ask this question to you. How many of you would love to spend a counseling session with Jesus? Just have an hour with him where he could tell you why you're having to go through these tough times, this suffering, these painful moments. For the truth is, he warned us uh, in John 16, when he called us to follow him, that in this world, you will have tribulations. That's what he said. It's a promise. It does just is for everybody who decides to follow Jesus. He also said previously in Matthew's gospel that the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. Now, rain can be a blessing for it grows crops and cools down heat and all of those things. So it could be that God blesses both the righteous and the unrighteous, but sometimes rain falls too much and causes flooding. So you could take that verse in a negative way and say, you know, God allows bad things to come to the righteous and the unrighteous. The truth is no one who lives on this planet till we die escapes suffering, difficulty, and pain. So if you could have one hour with Jesus, what do you think he would say to you about how to handle pain and suffering? That's today's text because I think Jesus gives us in these verses today 12 different ways that we should look at pain and suffering from his perspective, how he's using it for our good and his glory. Let's look at verse 27, which gives us the first way to deal with pain and suffering from the lips of Jesus. Here it is. It's okay to admit it. It's okay to admit you're going through a tough time. Look at verse 27. As Jesus is facing the cross, this is Sunday. He's going to die on Friday in an horrific death on a Roman cross. He says, now is my soul troubled. That word troubled means disturbed out of place, feeling awkward. There's just pain that Jesus is feeling right now. And what does he do? He admits it publicly. At least John heard him say so, probably his other disciples. Uh, Someone once said, admitting the feeling is the beginning of healing. And I think that's very true. If you have a hurt heart, the way that heart begins to be made well is by admitting that you have a hurt heart. Don't stuff your emotions deep down inside. First, go to God and admit what you're feeling, and then go to some friends, beloved family members, and confess the fact that you're hurting. That's a great way to begin the whole process of your healing. Jesus, first of all, says to us, if you have a hurting heart, admit the feeling. It's okay to do so. Secondly, Jesus continues, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? It is okay to question, folks, why you're going through what you're going through. Jesus here himself goes, what can I say to the fact that I'm facing the cross? He didn't want to go to the cross, and therefore that's what allowed him to say, what shall I say to this 
horrific pain that I am facing. Now, let me take a moment and share with you about the cross, this experience that Jesus was going to face within five days. It was the Persians who came up with the idea of a cross. They basically would whittle a log into a point and impale somebody through their body and then place them in the ground so that anybody walking by could see them suffering. It was an horrific way of persecution and pain. The Romans, though, took it to a new level. Though the Persians invented crucifixion, it was the Romans who perfected it. For the purpose of crucifixion was to inflict pain, make it a public spectacle so that walker-bys would see the persecuted one, the one going through the crucifixion, and not do what that person had done. So the Romans looked at the human body, and I'm sure through some kind of terrible experimentation, realized the pressure points in the nerve system when penetrated that would cause the most pain. So that's how they realized if you put nails in the wrist and nails in the ankles and then hung the person on the cross, not only would that induce the most amount of neurological pain in the body, it would cause the person to die by asphyxiation. They would have to raise up on their toes to breathe in to keep alive, then come down and then breathe up again as they raised on their toes and they would do every raising of their toes, go through that painful bodily experience of their nerves just hot-wired and in pain, and that's when the Romans would then place these people in a crucified form by the side of the road, again, to keep Roman citizens and other conquered people in line, and they would obey exactly what Roman law wanted them to obey. It's interesting that Moses said it's cursed to die on a tree. Uh, Cicero, the very famous Roman philosopher, told Romans, don't even talk about the cross. It's too horrific to even address. From Josephus, we know that when Spartacus, the slave, led his rebellion against Rome and had some victories over some time after he was finally caught, he and all of his followers, some 6,000, were crucified on the Appian Way and went over a 120-mile distance where every few steps you would have one of those rebellious slaves hung on a cross Every step of someone traveling on the Appian Way would look and see the people on that cross, hear their groans, hear their pain, hear them crying out, and that would be a reminder to them, you'd better obey Roman law or this cross could be yours. Uh, Just think about 120 miles of those 6,000 slaves. That would be like driving from Charlotte to Greensboro, North Carolina, and along Highway 85 and Highway 40, you would just have cross after cross after cross of people suffering and dying in horrific ways. Now, Jesus was looking at the reality that he was going to have to experience that physical pain. So he asked the question, what shall I say? You know, it's kind of, how do I begin to face this suffering that's before me? But also realize it was not just the physical suffering that was causing Jesus to ask what shall I say? It was also the spiritual suffering, probably far more the spiritual suffering that concerned him because he knew that he came from heaven. And every day he lived on this planet, he was in a oneness union relationship with the Father. But he knew on the cross between 12 and 3, when all of the sins of the world would come upon him and the heavens became dark, when 
God in human flesh, the Son of Man, took all of our sins upon himself. At that moment, the Father turned his back on the Son. And the thought in Jesus' heart of even one second of not being in that union life with the Father hurt him so badly, he cried out, what shall I say? The the thought of that kind of pain was just overwhelming to the Son. What shall I say? So he was looking at his physical pain within five days, looking at the spiritual pain he would go through within just a few days, and he was asking, what shall I say? So folks, when you're going through difficult times, it's quite okay for you to ask the question, Lord, what are you doing? What shall I say? Ask questions. Try to understand it. Your God loves you, and he understands why you're going through it, but it's okay for you to ask him, please try to explain this to me. I am questioning it because it hurts so bad. Thirdly, I think Jesus would say to us that there is purpose in the pain. Look at verse 27 again. Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. There he's looking even ahead to the Garden of Gethsemane in just four days on that Thursday night when he cries out to the Father, is there any other way you can take this cup from me? Now, the cup in the Bible, whenever somebody had to drink of God's cup, they had to drink of God's wrath. When the nations that rebelled against God in the Old Testament, Israel included, had to drink of God's cup, it was God's wrath poured out on them, his punishment for their sin. Jesus asked the question in the garden, is there any other way for these people to be saved than for me to have to drink the cup of your wrath, your wrath of punishment poured out on me instead of them? And of course, Jesus said after that, no, Father, your will, not my will, the submissiveness of the Son to the Father to do whatever the Father asked him to do, even though he was asking, what shall I say? There was purpose in the particular pain, and that was the salvation of all of the world. For look at the next sentence. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. What's this hour? Whenever John refers to the hour, it's talking about the cross, the time when Jesus would be lifted up on that cross. And Jesus here is now saying, for this purpose, I have come to this moment. He came from heaven to this earth, lived three and a quarter years up until now, and now came the time for his purpose in coming to this earth. It was for the purpose of saving us from our sins so that God's wrath would not be poured out upon us and we spend eternity in hell. God's wrath was poured out on his son so that he could then forgive us by grace through faith and we could have eternal life. So we ask the question, What shall I say? When we're going through tough times, what shall I say? What can I ask you, Lord? And the answer is you can ask him anything, and he's working somehow through it, and there's purpose in your pain. You may not see it momentarily, but it is for your good and for God's glory. He promises it to be such. So what would Jesus say to you if you're walking through a very difficult time? It's okay to admit it. It's okay to question what's going on. There's purpose in the pain. And fourthly, we are to glorify God in the pain. Look at verse 28. Father, glorify your name. Glorify your name. Now, what does the word glorify mean? It means to render a good opinion of something or someone else. So, I glorify my alma mater, the University of North Carolina, and the team I play basketball on at that school 
when I behave in such a way that continues the basic positive principles of the North Carolina basketball program. You render a good opinion of that institution when you behave in accordance with the principles that that coach, Dean Smith, and other coaches thereafter have promoted. Glorify means to render a good opinion of. It's also in reference to a person. You know, when I behave in a way that my dad, Howard Chadwick, taught me, I glorify my dad. I render a good opinion of him by living a life that he would be pleased with. Similarly, we glorify Jesus when we live as he wants us to live. When we say we are his followers, we follow how he wants us to live. And as we live in a holy, godly way, we render a good opinion of him who is our master. We glorify him. Said another way, the word glorify means mirror. That when we glorify something or someone, they look in our lives, it's like a mirror reflecting on something or someone else that we hold in great value. So Jesus here is saying, basically, on this cross, Lord, glorify yourself. And in every situation, dear friends, we can render a good opinion of God, especially when we're going through suffering. I'll never forget the time I was at the hospital And on the third floor, I visited someone who was an unbeliever, and I met with him, and he was dour, sour, negative, complaining against God, saying why he didn't believe. And I tried my best to care for him and love him, but it was hard. I walked out and went down to the second floor and visited with a Christian who had a very severe cancer And this person was positive and glowing, encouraging and praising God even amidst the cancer. The nurse said to me, you know what's interesting? I go to both rooms and care for both people, and I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I see the difference in the way someone who doesn't believe lives their lives and the way someone who does believe lives theirs. In other words, the person who was a follower of Jesus was able to influence this nurse, I understand, later did come to faith in Jesus because she saw how he glorified Jesus even in his cancer, realizing that God was in control, working through it, and would ultimately bring this person home to heaven. So what would Jesus say to you if he was counseling you in your pain? Find a way in your pain to glorify Jesus because he is with you in it and he is worthy to be glorified. Number five, Listen for God's voice. Amidst the pain of all you're going through, listen to God's voice. After Jesus says, Father, glorify your name in verse 28, then he follows with this understanding of listening to the voice. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. What's the it there? It's the cross. The voice says, I'm going to use the cross for something good. I'm going to render it as a good gift. I'm going to do that. And then the crowd in verse 29 that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. So a voice comes from heaven. Again, God saying to Jesus, in a third time the voice spoke to him, first at his baptism, then secondly at the transfiguration experience. Now here, right before he faces the cross, the voice comes to him and says, I'm going to glorify the cross. I'm going to render a good opinion of it for the world. It's going to save the world of its sin. And when the crowd heard that voice, and they heard it, some concluded it was just thunder. 
Others concluded that it was not just thunder, but an angel speaking. It's just so interesting. People heard that voice, but because they were disconnected from Jesus, they couldn't understand who the voice was and what it was trying to say, just like us today. Um, We have the voice of the Father trying to speak to us regularly. The question is, are we listening? For those of you who still use radio, for example, if you put your radio dial on the particular station, you'll clearly hear what's being said. But if it's off just one little bit, it will be garbled and staticky. So if you have the voice of the Father wanting to speak to you, you need to have an open ear trying to hear what he's trying to say. So if you're going through a difficult, painful time, God wants to speak to you. In John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. In fact, in the 10th chapter of John, Jesus says four times, my sheep hear my voice, my sheep hear my voice, my sheep hear my voice, my sheep hear my voice. And when you're going through difficult times, oftentimes that's when you're most sensitive to hearing the voice of God. When you're most willing and able to open up your heart and say, Lord, speak to me. And he wants to speak to you and he will speak to you. He promised to do so here in his word. In verse 30, Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. He wanted them to hear this voice from the Father saying to them, he wants to glorify, use everyone's life to render a good opinion of him. He wants to speak that to us. And even in our suffering, he wants to say, I want to glorify your life in this suffering. Please trust me in it. Please hear a way that can happen. Please look for ways around you where you can witness to me, to those who are coming to care for you. I can use this in powerful ways. Jesus said, this voice is really for you, not for me. Don't think it's thunder. Don't think it's an angel. It's the voice of God trying to speak to you right now. God wants to, especially when we're going through painful times. That's when our ears are most open to hear the voice of the Father. Draw near to hear. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with great insights on the difference between our occupation and our vocation. We'll be right back. In our community, there are countless people at the intersection of homelessness and addiction. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission, and for over 80 years, the Rescue Mission has been helping people who struggle with addiction in our community. You know, there are many great programs that offer people struggling with addiction a path to sobriety and recovery. But what comes after someone gets clean? Often, those battling addiction have an inconsistent work history or criminal charges. Most have stunted emotional growth. And after they've achieved sobriety, how do they maintain long-term employment? This is where Community Matters Cafe makes a huge impact in their lives. Community Matters Cafe is more than just good food and wonderful house-roasted coffee. It's an extension program of Charlotte Rescue Mission that is transforming lives. And after men and women graduate from Charlotte Rescue Mission's 120-day Rebound Men's and Dove's Nest Women's Residential Programs, They have the option to enroll in the Life Skills Program at Community Matters Cafe. During the six-month program, the students learn a variety of critical life skills in a restaurant setting that help them get and keep long-term employment. Community Matters Cafe is located diagonally opposite the Panther Practice Fields at the corner of Cedar and West First Street. 
Charlotte Rescue Mission is so grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church in this vital work of transforming lives. I'm Jen Houston, and with me today is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, Jen. It's wonderful to be with you as well. In this morning's e-devotion, you wrote a Davidism titled Occupation or Vocation, and aren't they synonymous? Well, they're really not, and I'd like to explain the difference between the two because when you understand it, it's often an answer to the question, do I really enjoy my job? Uh, Let me give some history on the whole understanding of work. Work is not an occupation. It really should be, from a biblical perspective, a vocation. In Latin, the word vocation means voice, God's voice, his call to where he wants you to work. And since the Lord called you to do this work, it's done to him as the ultimate overseer, or said another way, God is your real boss at work, Colossians 3.23. Therefore, a Christian's work is to be done excellently, to honor the one true boss, the Lord God himself. But then things changed in the history of the world, moving away from a vocation being our work to it being an occupation. Around the time of the Industrial Revolution, because of assembly lines, work became drudgery. You stood on the assembly line and put your part on the particular product and never even saw the end product itself. Thus, the word occupation was used to describe a workday. It was something people did to occupy their time from the beginning of each day until its end, merely waiting for the weekend to arrive when you could really enjoy life. Hmm. But for Christians, all work is a calling. You are to work where God wants you to be, serving those around you in need, washing their feet as you see necessary or important, you are his missionary to his mission field, which is between your feet, wherever you may be at that moment. Martin Luther King said it well. He said, if you are a street sweeper, sweep streets for the glory of God. Do you see your work, folks, as a vocation, a call from God, where you are ministering to the people around you, whatever needs may be there, or do you simply see your work as an occupation, something to occupy your time all week long until you can get to the weekend to enjoy Hmm. life to the full? Your answer will probably determine whether you enjoy the amount of time you spend at your work or not. This is so good. I feel like this is a word of encouragement for someone today just because it brings life and encouragement to me and inspiration. And the word that comes to mind is adventure. Even if um, somebody is in a job right now they don't love, open your eyes to the adventure of the calling today on, on your life. Exactly, Jen. And if you were supposed to be at another workplace you would be there. Mm -hmm. You know, open your heart to God. Say, take me wherever you want to do. Let him open a door for you to either advance in that particular area or take you to another area altogether. But when you understand vocation and you see that God's the one who created work, that it is a good thing, and you know that you're there with the opportunity to bless anybody who is around you that day, you are God's missionary to your workplace that day, 
the understanding of work moves from occupation, just occupying my time, to vocation, to a calling from God where I am serving other people for His glory. This is so inspiring. Thank you so much, David. Well, thank you, Jen, and I hope this word helps encourage all of those who may be driving to their workplace right now or may be serving in their homes that you are where God wants you to be. And if you'd like a copy of my daily written Moments of Hope, please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there free of charge from my heart to yours daily every morning at 7 a.m. arriving in your inbox to give your day a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for revival in our city. 